0: Hello and welcome to Manageable Conversations, the podcast where we speak to leaders across industry sectors. In each episode, we'll discover what helped them in their career, how they stay sharp, and ways they get the best out of their teams. I'm Farley Thomas, the founder of Manageable. We hope this podcast inspires you to be a great leader by learning from others. Today I'm speaking to Andy Clark, CEO of Edentree Investment Management. Andy joined Edentree late last year, bringing with him more than two decades of experience in the investment management sector. Before joining Edentree, Andy spent eight years as CEO of the UK arm of HSBC Global Asset Management. Andy's moved from a very large firm to a much smaller, more specialized one, so I'm curious to hear how Andy's finding that transition. Andy, thanks so much for joining us today. Top of my mind is the very interesting timing of you taking on the CEO role at Edentree. What's it been like? Yes,
1: timing-wise, it wasn't ideal um, with the pandemic. Um, so I think I had to readjust my mind a little bit before I joined. So I think it was very much a question of how quickly can I see as many people as possible? So one of the advantages, of course, is... You have Zoom or Teams, and you can get through people quite quickly. So there was an advantage of saying, okay, let's use it a different way and try and meet as many people as quickly as possible. Because I figured at the end of the day, whenever you're joining a new company, the employees have no idea what's coming. So they're they're, they're apprehensive. I'm apprehensive because I'm not 100% sure what I've joined. Um, So meeting everyone as quickly as possible was key. Does a half-an-hour meeting break down barriers and start building relationships? No, but I think it starts everyone feeling on an equal footing.
0: If I can invite you to shift to your role as a leader of a team, as much as the leader of, the, you know, the CEO of the whole organisation. One of the images that comes to my mind is, is a manager, you know, cheek by jowl with, with their team and, and they're, they're a sort of a crack unit. What's been your experience, given that we've all pretty much been either locked down or anxious about being with people yeah that's true I would say
1: better than I expected so is it easy no but again with the management team because we were we had a a defined date and a plan it really focuses your mind and you end up working shoulder to shoulder zoom to zoom um, that way I think I am much better with people in reality I bounce off people I think I'm I need that energy so For me, um, sadly, I've had to sort of get up in the morning, go for a run, really energise myself um, to ensure that I keep my levels up for the team because that's what I need.
0: I'd like to dwell briefly on Andy's reference to what he needs because it strikes me as extremely helpful and self-aware. Do you similarly have an insight into what you need to become and stay energised? And how do you find a proxy for whatever that might be? If, as in Andy's case, the usual fix of being with people isn't an option. Taking the time to reflect on your needs and not just those of others will serve you well, especially if you're in charge of leading and motivating others and therefore need to be at your best. What's your sense of you as a candidate? You know, what helped you get the job?
1: Um, I would argue that my authenticity and the statements I made were were real, as in I wasn't trying to tailor-make me for the role. I went to say, this is me, this is what I think I can bring, this is the experience I have, this is my track record, and this is how I look, (laughs) and this is how I speak. Uh, And I think rather than sort of read up on the company, try and second-guess what they're looking for, I was authentic, and um, I suspect sometimes that won't work, but if it did work, and you weren't authentic, you'll end up unhappy anyway, to my mind. So it's not really a top tip. I think probably all of us do it naturally. But for me, meeting the people on the other side of the desk and being honest and open with them was, was, was why this became a really exciting opportunity. And, and I suspect it's why they trust me to build this business. Um, I, I spend a lot of time talking about people, about the reality of making... We're 50 people. It's a small business. I'm coming from somewhere where I was running, nominally 400 people. That's that's quite a step change. And a lot of questions during the process, you won't be surprised, were, you know, how are you going to deal with 50 when you had 400? And um, I always tell the story of previously to the big company where I did run a much smaller team and I had the most fun. I had the most fun in my mid-30s, head of distribution and then CEO of a small-sized asset manager that got bought out. And that, that building something from a low base up is what inspired me and continues to inspire me. And that's exactly what Tree, in this example wants, to grow from a very solid base, but it's got to sort of power through and move on. So there's that sort of growth agenda uh, driving a business. It's the same philosophy, I think, if it's 500, 5,000 or 50. The noticeable difference, and this is what's taken me a little bit of time to get used to, is I'm used to building the strategy, working with my team. And then at that point, there's another layer and another layer and another layer to get through, stratas to get through, to get things signed off. And suddenly I'm here with this document, a board, and the group to talk to, and that was it. It was a very liberating feeling to think, okay, well, they're going to challenge, that's great, and we can tweak if needed. But that feeling of, okay, within three months we had a strategy, and then within four months we've told everyone in the company about it and presented it to three boards and the whole of uh, the group – that's exciting. That, then that wouldn't happen possibly in big organisations. The process would be similar, I think, but the speed of execution is just naturally slower.
0: Eden is a very specialised firm, as I understand it, Andy. Does that mean that it was specialisation that they were seeking when it came to hiring you as CEO? Or was it something else?
1: I, th- I think that's a great question, actually. They, the group, the ecclesi- ecclesiastical group that uh, owns Eden Tree um, I think started down that oh we needed a CEO who is a deeply ESG, you know, mind and he or she would drive the business that way. I think what they came to reflect on was actually what, and I I, I totally agree with this. By the way, <laughs> I would, but I totally agree with it. Um, I think a CEO in any business doesn't you know, they have to believe in the business and believe in where it's heading. And I definitely believe in the ethical side of things and 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 the and the growth in that. But being a CEO doesn't mean you have to be an expert in the business you're in. I've never run money. Um, I've launched some ESG products, but I'm not coming from an embedded ESG house. But I believe in the direction. I think what groups are often looking for from their CEO is a leader uh, and someone who can agitate growth. But being sensitive to the existing business and how you can grow with that. And for that, in this example, um, I've been in the asset management industry pretty much all my life, so I know it. I instinctively feel there's some areas where we can improve and target. And knowing the product and what, where it fits is absolutely important, but being an expert in every level of it, that's why there's some fantastic people at Edentree who are experts at that. I mean, I, I will never catch up and, and know that. And it's almost a, a little bit like the old saying, which I, again, agree with, with, don't be the smartest person in the room. I think the ability to step back and, and have a great team built around the business is really, really crucial. And I hope that's what um, they saw in me through the process. Sometimes I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer. And I think you have to be secure in yourself to be able to say that. And the danger of getting into that whole micromanagement is I know everything. I'm omnipresent and everything has to come through me.
0: Andy's been CEO three times so far, and I'm struck by his comfort with not knowing. Something we can all learn from and be inspired by, I reckon. The more we don't know, the more we give others opportunities to share what they know, and the more we're likely to seek out new perspectives so that we can learn more ourselves. One of the most potent tools a coaching style of leader has is simply not knowing, not assuming, not judging, and seeing what emerges. What tips do you have, Andy, for managers, leaders? What lessons have you learned that you can sort of help others avoid? First is... Uh, trust, totally.
1: Uh, I start from a position of 100% trust for everyone I meet. That's just my go-to position. Um, I kind of tell people that. <laughs> and then it's up for the individual to decide whether that's something they value or they don't value. So if they value it, they're in. If they don't value it, we soon find out and we have there's a conversation to be had. Um, so I think that trust, um, the authenticity, the proper conversation. And that's not by the way, necessarily easy for people to accept. Some are, uh, are used to not showing themselves, not saying what they mean, doing deals. <laughs> nothing, nothing I hate more is having a committee meeting, executive committee meeting, making a decision, and then someone runs out and starts undermining it straight away. So that sort of behavior, um, I, I try to stop immediately because that's toxic. And I think that's one of the things I learned quite early on, that you have to st- um, stamp out that behavior actually very quickly because it's it it brings everybody down and it, and, and you, the leakage you get from that it slows the business right down so that trusting does play quite hard with me i think the authenticity of people that's it's more of a personal decision but i try and be authentic myself because i think it's it it's a leadership it's a it's not a style but i just can't be bothered to <laughs> create a persona that's not me i suppose so maybe, maybe that's laziness on my part um and the other thing I would say when you're building teams is sometimes there's a holy grail or someone who is the genius, but they might be a bit of a toxic genius. And I think they're often held in organisations as you can't touch them, and they feel they can't be touched. And again, going back to sort of the, the negativity side of things, that, that they've got to go. Well, either get on. There, there is a either get on or get out. There's a there's a that's pretty harsh, but if you're really building something and you've got to run at quite a speed you can't carry baggage so it's better to have a a hole than someone who's not doing it right sorry that and that's not the same as uh you know cognitive diversity which i'm a huge fan of you don't no one has to agree all the time but you have to agree eventually to move on and get on and if you don't then i think you've got a problem
0: yeah i hear you andy there's this kind of sense of having healthy debate but no matter which side of the argument you're on, if you're a committed member of the team, the team needs to get behind the decision that was taken. Um, Andy, that's been really, really helpful. And I'm very appreciative of the time you've taken to have this conversation.
1: Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on.
0: If you enjoyed this manageable conversation, there are many other perspectives we offer our community of managers worldwide who coach and individuals from all walks of life who benefit from being coached. That's all from me. I'm Farley Thomas. Until next time.